Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken, and happy hour is happening somewhere else. This episode of the podcast was recorded on Saturday, the 23rd of April. I posed an open question on our social media accounts. Are we wrong in saying that Canada has become quite divided over the last two years? Well, get ready to have your brain warmed up because Whiskey and I brought back fan favorite Dr. Green to join in the conversation. We did our best to challenge conventional thinking on a subject that that we feel may be lingering in our collective subconscious. I hope you enjoy. I, uh, it's funny, uh, we're just sitting here listening to old vinyl and uh, Dr. Green was mentioning that uh, hipsters are apparently uh, going back to uh, old cassette tapes. <laughs> so I thought they can have them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, yeah, of my yeah. one of my employees was talking about fanny packs. Oh, no. And how they're, they're like coming back in. I'm like, something should have just stayed dead. And they're like, no, they're the greatest thing ever. I'm like, no. 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 No, thank you. You can have it with your number two pencil that you got to screw the thing backwards. God. No, no, thank you. So I'm starting to think that Cognac might be right. Uh, having kids was a wrong decision. I'm just going to throw that out there. What? What? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm not serious. Um, but Jesus, I'm, uh, I'm doing the single, single dad routine uh, thing again. Uh, the wife's out of town. She's doing a show with her mom out in Kitchener. And, uh, oh, and man, oh, they, were, they were terrible today. They were brutal. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> had, that, uh, had that one, uh, you know, like every once in a while. So I made supper for them tonight. I made like butter chicken. It's like good, decent meal. Um, fills you up and you get like dad bod in like an hour. Just from eating it. So I'm just like, I want to sit down. I want to lay down on the couch and just take a quick little 20 minute snooze. And like my daughter's literally standing on my head like, no, daddy, no. Like, it's brutal. So, yeah, I, uh, I kind of re- I kind of regretted that decision. Anyway, how are you guys? Yeah, it's all about, ba- it's all about boundaries, right? You know, like your kids are, you know, are malleable little, you know, jello cubes. That constantly slip around in your hands, right? You think you've got them, and then, boom. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. But you know, I'll, I'll, you I'll add the me. fact the fact that they're also images. They're little images of you, and That's they right. only capture the most pronounced versions of you. Oh, it's the worst. It's the Never absolute worst. Yeah, it's the absolute worst. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like it's uh, it like we talk about nature versus nurture. It's like it's all nature. It, the nurturing bit comes later. Like the, the nature, like when I look at my kids and I'm just like, oh, there's more of me and you than I really want to admit. I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. This is not good, man. Yeah. And, they, and anyway. they're copiers, right? They, it's a learned environment. They'll oh, they look yeah. at you and they go, oh, daddy's, daddy's doing this. I'm going to do this. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and remember when we talk about the best and the worst of you, they, they push the button so they can reaffirm that they get the worst of you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Don't do what Daddy does. Well, anyway. sorry, no backseat, so you uh, you can't give him. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's very true. 
I would never dream of it, even on a recording. Um, what are we drinking? What are you guys having? Uh, you've got like whiskey's got some, or Rox has got some nebulous white space capsule. Oh, that's whiskey. Device. Yeah, he's got. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, what do you? Are you drinking homebrew again or what? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that good a day, eh? Three three guesses what this is. Uh, uh hang on. Goes, goes in a copper that's, cup. Uh, that's probably that's. It's not a Moscow Mule, is it? <laughs> oh yes, it is. Oh nice. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, it is indeed. Good. Nice job, trader. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd do something different for change, right? So, I mean, no, no, that's okay. Yeah, good, yeah. That's right. You can't uh, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You gotta you gotta be yeah. able to enjoy some of the fruits that come out of that forsaken country. Right well, I've now, been a, I've been on a bit of a cognac kick lately too. I find I've just sort of I've eased off the whiskey a little, you know, going oh, yeah? the other way. So yeah, you know, Armagnacs and cognacs and things like that. So. So I figure in honor of uh, tonight's discussion, we're going to be talking a lot about Canada, Canada, well, geez, rocks, lay off on the, uh, on the whiskey. Uh, I'm going to pick, I picked up a Canadian whiskey. I got this uh, Gooderham and Wurtz. It's, uh, they were an independent, yeah, they were a uh, independent company. And then, uh, and then I think Weiser's, JP Weiser's bought them out um, because they're very good whiskey and, they're probably they're probably my favorite uh, Canadian whiskey. So that there it is. Fine. Is Bomar any good? Bomar, what do you got? Twelve? No, it's a birthday gift for one of my colleagues. There, number one. Glug 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 glug. <laughs> Bomar is very oh, good. Nope. Best way to find out is to open it. Uh, yeah. I've only had it like four days. <laughs> <laughs> Bomore is uh Bomore is very good. That's uh that's from the Isley Island. Uh you can get some of the like more lighter uh ones that's like very peaty. You're going to find it will be very peaty. But it's, it's uh peaty like if you, it, isn't it? That's right. If you get like uh the Bomore darkest, that's like opening up grandma's medicine cabinet and drinking it. Oh. Yeah. Well, I used to like uh, Talisker quite a bit. It had a good sort of peaty. Talisker's to it. good. Yeah, Talisker's a good one. Actually, I just well, admitted like two episodes ago that I had never had a Talisker, and that remains extant. I still need oh, to have. Well, uh, I know what I'm sending you for Christmas. That. I guess so. I guess so. How you guys been? Well, this it, it officially tastes like a gardener's drink. It's full of peat. There you go. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> and it's not the smell coming off my fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> I take it you are working outdoors today. No, no, it was rainy, raining here most, all afternoon. And oh, that sucks. No, no, Bobby, I've seen uh, here too. It's been pretty, pretty cloudy weather. Mm-hmm. The April showers. <sighs> they are here. Doctor Green, how have you been? It's been quite a while. Haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah. No, thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, so starting to miss you guys. Um, yeah, it's been uh, busy, busy. I mean, lots of stuff going on in my. Uh, area of expertise and uh, background and my little hero there the devilish evil elon musk is uh is keeping everybody busy with lots going on in his side of the world but, uh, no kidding <laughs> yeah no lots of things kidding. to follow that's for sure yeah that's pretty good it's good there's a lot of uh <laughs> shall we say divisiveness around that character that's right <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to You got to You just sheer entertainment value. So the, yeah. he's got the rockets. He's got the the failed solar yeah. roof, roof project. He's got the cars, and he's even in the Je- the the Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> like, is he, actually, <laughs> is he actually in the trial? I had no idea. <laughs> man, oh, that man has his fingers in every pot. That's well, that, wild. That, that gets a little dirtier, but yeah. <laughs> now he's going to be the uh, what is it the the avatar for uh, freedom of speech on Twitter. Coming up, well, unless Twitter has something to say about it, it's bored anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it's going to be tough for them. Eh? They, he's kind of like you know, obviously smart guy. Sort of painted them in the corner a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, they can they can take the money or they cannot take the money and kill themselves. Yeah, <laughs> in the process. They've basically so, got. They haven't really updated their business model in God knows how long. Um, it's, I don't think they've done any real changes to that platform in years. If I, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah. The biggest change they made was they, they doubled the length of characters you could put on the, on a tweet. And that was like a big deal. Yeah. That was like five years ago, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I I think, uh, sorry. No, as you say, it's still a very popular platform though. Yeah, and I was just going to, that's a segue into what I was going to say is that, you know, in terms of challengers, there aren't many challengers um, unless, you, unless you, a, you're an ultra conservative and then there's like Telegraph and there's a couple other, other ones you're willing to go to. Carrier Pigeon. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. There's an app called Ter- Telegraph. I thought, I thought that was a popular Russian social media site. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's it's hard to duplicate, right? The size and scope. I mean, there, there's so most of the people are willing to go on Twitter are on Twitter, and they're not willing to migrate anywhere else because otherwise you'd be like split between two apps. Uh, and I'm not willing. I don't follow Twitter, so fair enough. Well, every I find um, every prominent organization they get their news out more so. I would say on Twitter, like they get their I don't know, their communication with their, I don't know, their, the people that they're trying to market to or whatever, they get that message out more so on Twitter, I would say, than Facebook. I don't know. Yeah, I think it depends. It depends a little bit because I know like, you know, where we are, Facebook tends to be a bit more popular than Twitter, but depending where you live in the world, one platform tends to overtake the other. Um, and also too, you know, the people that use it or the people like, like, uh, you know, it was already pointed out, like whichever social media platform you started with, you tend to sit with and you're not, you're not going to change unless you get something better, really. Like, why would I, why would I get rid of my Twitter account or drop my Facebook or, you know, get rid of my Instagram if I didn't have something better to migrate to? And yeah. there hasn't really been a lot of challengers, really. Like, you know, some new social media platforms pop up, but they usually die within a year. That's uh, right. They just can't get the traction. Yeah. I, I think the, the corollary is, is that it's not necessarily an individual choice to migrate anymore because the idea behind these is to get the feed from other people. So if you migrate individually to another platform, you're going to be by yourself <laughs> because yeah. that whole ecosystem <laughs> needs to move forward and it kind of defeats yeah. the purposes yeah. of uh, social media. So it, when it's, a, it's a fascinating study in group dynamics if you think about it. You know, I can have a great idea, but in order for me to change the idea, I need to bring all these, my entire ecosystem with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the people on the periphery are now asked to do t- two or three different platforms. And are they willing to do that? 
And I think well, those are some of the fundamental questions. Well, look at uh, just conversely, look at what's going on with streaming platforms and Netflix, right? Like it's kind of in almost going in the opposite direction with Netflix. They're they're losing business because there's all these other platforms that are starting up. There's, I mean, Amazon's been around for a while, but you got Paramount Plus. There's other streaming platforms like Curiosity Stream, Nebula. There's a whole bunch of them, whole whack of them. And I don't know, I don't know what specifically is leading to the problems that Netflix is facing, but it's been all over the news the last last week yeah. or so. I think I think it's they were first out right, and uh, yeah. all they have in terms of revenue is what they stream, right? So if yeah. you get another streaming service like Amazon or Disney Plus. You know, if they have a bad month in streaming video or getting new subscribers, who cares, right? They have all these other sources of income that can yeah. prop up their, their streaming industry. But Netflix doesn't have like theme parks or, you know, a two-door delivery service, right? So they <laughs> depend entirely on subscriptions. And, That's so uh, true. And also, too, you know, and also, too, I mean, they were sort of, you know, they've been chipped away at by all the competitors now. You know, Crave, Paramount, ABC, HBO. I mean, there's a gazillion choices out there. And so, you know, Netflix has to find a way to, you know, keep the viewership and, and it's going to become tougher and tougher still because ultimately what's happening now, and that's, it's funny, it's good you brought up Netflix stuff. So I did, something I learned actually recently that I didn't know is that Netflix has a store, right? So if you're watching a show and Netflix and you see, say, a lamp in a TV show and you really like the lamp, you can actually go to the Netflix store and they may actually sell that lamp in the Netflix store. And so what happened before was like, you know, you used to you used to have like, you know, toys that would come out and they would make a show to sell the toy, right? Like, you know, G.I. Joe, for example, right? There was no, and Masters of the Universe, right? They made, they made cartoons just to sell the toys. But what's happening right. now is that the shows are selling products. So people, you know, see a wardrobe and some one of their favorite characters and they want to dress just like them. Well, you can go to the Amazon store now and buy the clothes that some character in a show was just wearing. Right. And so yeah. this is what's really evolving. And of course, you know, some of the businesses like Disney and, and uh, Amazon are really well set up to do that. But yeah. Netflix is not right. They don't have yeah. all the intrinsic infrastructure so they can simply connect people to products. Uh, and I think true. that's where they're starting to struggle. And that's why the subscribers are probably starting to leave a little bit. Um, you know, trying to trying to lock subscribers in by getting them to type in codes or, you know, hammer down on who's actually got access to your account. I mean, I think that's just going to fail in the long run, like everything else usually does when they try to they try to lock you in. But you know, it's yeah. going to have to evolve. Well, I mean, speaking of Star Wars, because you're wearing a Star Wars teacher T-shirt, wasn't that George yeah. Lucas? He kind of he kind of I don't I wouldn't say he pioneered yeah. it, but he definitely definitely made his bones not just because of Star Wars, but because he wanted all of the profits off of the toy manufacturing yeah. when he made the first Star yeah. Wars movie. Right, he brilliantly figured out that licensing product was the way to go for for monetization. Uh, I remember, like when they actually, interestingly enough, Netflix has a show called "The Toys That Made Us," and yep. one of the shows is dedicated to Kenner, uh, which was the company that built the original Star Wars line of toys. And That's right. uh, they talk a lot about the licensing and how George Lucas got into to taking his his share of the of the licensing money, which at the time was very prescient and just very very forward thinking because nobody ever thought about that. And he, he made a fortune with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, smart move. You don't and, get uh, Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, you don't get that's Skywalker right. Ranch without uh without selling some toys, man. That's for sure. Uh yeah. So I got so a I've question. Surfed, just like Netflix, I've already surfed all of Netflix shop and uh, I'm not gonna buy anything or watch anything. <laughs> Are you what you just scrolled through it like in the last 
yeah. two minutes that we were talking about it. Yeah. One, I don't wear hipster tees with anything written on it. Number two, all the jewelry is crap, and I don't wear jewelry. And number three, <laughs> none of the figurines I get. So, eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was going to say, you went through that pretty quick. You're, like, you're not a robot, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's a great irony. Eh? When the computer, when the computer asks you to prove you're a human, like that's where we've gotten to. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> click that's this right. box. Click this box. Little sack of meat. Yeah, <laughs> he's like that meme of the guy who's like nervously trying to push the one or the two buttons or whatever. <laughs> it's like <laughs> prove I'm a human or, or continue yeah. the facade. Yeah, listen, I to prove that I'm not a robot. There's times where I actually press the space bar and enter key harder than necessary. Oh, wow. Oh, geez. <laughs> you must be very oh, proud of that. Your mother must be very proud of you. <sighs> so I got a question for you guys, because this has been kind of on my mind. And I, I feel like you gentlemen are uh, in the best position to uh, kind of address this problem. A chair? I'm, I'm exactly. <laughs> I notice lately... A lot of people, let's say, brandishing Canadian flags out there. Now, I'm not against patriotism, but I feel kind of shameful with it. And I'll explain why I think why, um, but I'll let you guys carry the ball from there. Um, but really what it comes down to, and I think it really stems a lot from the trucker protests, it was also at the same time as the Olympics, so there's a lot of confusion that was going on. But I mean, I I, mem- I remember driving to work on Monday, and I saw this woman talking on her phone. She was just walking down the street, and she had a Canadian flag draped around her. It's like, what's going on here? That's weird. Like, that's weird, right? I, am I alone in thinking that's weird? Well, you know, people may ch- make all sorts of choices as to what is considered appropriate wear these days. I mean, yeah, I live in a university town. I'm, I never cease to be amazed by what I see some people show up in stores wearing, you know, like pajamas, slippers, you know, mismatching Crocs. <laughs> like, like I can understand stuff. if you can't get your shit together. <laughs> but if you made an ideological yeah, like, choice out, right, out, yeah. out the door, then I don't know. There's something else going on there. So I, mean, I, I don't think we're me. Sorry. You, you can go ahead. No, I was going to say, it might have been a curtain drape 10 minutes before, so you never know, right? <laughs> this is also true. I'm not one to judge, I guess. Or maybe I am, because I am asking the question after all. Go ahead, Whiskey. I think there's three aspects to this. One is branding. Uh, number two is the influence of uh, American culture in, on Canada. And three, um, you know, the impact of and, and transitioning of social norms and the affinity to... Um, to identify with these things. I think in, within those three dynamics is uh, Americans popularize, popularize how they deal with and treat their, their flag. And re, really what, what some sort of ideologies you seem to have an affinity for is the respect of the Canadian flag and how it should be handled and used. Um, mm-hmm. Because for you, you have certain perceptions on what that flag means um, yeah. as a sense of loyalty uh, I would say that a lot of other people have a have a different view of what that flag means in terms of an affinity or an allegiance um, 
I belong to rather than I serve. Mm-hmm. And I think those are those are different ideologies that you may have. You it bothers once can't bothers you because you can't rationalize the perspectives. And I think that's part of where you're raised, the how you work and how you uh, and how you um, um, uh, go through life. Like when I went to school when I was young. Every morning we sang O Canada and we did the, uh, and God Save the Queen. Um, yeah. that, that A lot of these things have changed, right? Yeah, no, I, I got that. I think maybe I'm not being specific enough. And what I'm really getting at is, like, there's nothing wrong with doing the national anthem. And there's nothing wrong with uh, people uh, flying the flag on their house, you know, like on a flagpole, that kind of thing. People do that all the time. That's That's one thing. But I am noticing it more and more outside, like, the back of people's vehicles, people walking around with it, like, carrying it around like a badge of honor. And it's just like, to me, for me, and this is my personal opinion, um, it's, I don't see, like, I've never seen that before in in Canada and amongst Canadians. And and what I I mean by that, oh, go ahead there, Dr. Reed. No, I was going to say, I could propose another uh, possibility, too, is that, you know, sometimes when people feel they need to reinforce a message, which is whatever their idea of Canada is, I mean, let's face it, it's not a very happy country right now. And no. there's a lot of folks that don't believe that it's heading in the direction that was the one that they're they're in tuned with. Like what, was, what Whiskey's mentioning, you know, that, you know, people have a sense of how they, you know, uh, rationalize or what their perception of what Canada means and the flag that identifies it. And if you don't believe in the government that's governing you or you don't like the choices that are being made in society, you you wear it as a sign of protection in some cases, almost like a memento mori or or as a crucifix of sorts where, you know, you wrap yourself in it to protect yourself from these other ideas that are that are potentially challenging your perception of that's what you fascinating. think the flag should represent. So I never would have thought of it that way. Like, obviously, I've got my own prejudice. And that's, that's actually very, uh, that's pretty good point. Um, The way I've always thought of it is, uh, the way I've always thought of Canadians in particular, uh, especially on the world stage, is that we're like the quiet professional, you know, we get the job done, we're hardy people, we're very resilient. um, But we don't beat our chests, you know, we don't, uh, it's, uh, that's why I feel it's a very, very different for me. Uh, Whiskey, you got something to say? Well, remember, like Canada was traditional values, peace, order, and good government. It's That's not right. the freedom to do whatever we want uh, as long as it necessarily affects someone else. And if it does, maybe, maybe not be legal. Um, so, so we just got to be careful. And, and I, I think Dr. Green brings up a good point about, you know, reflection of ideologies onto, you know, that are from a neighboring country onto us and people aligning themselves with these ideologies, which may be disconnected from our actual our political system and the way it's set up. So mm-hmm. they're wrapping themselves in the flag in order to prove that they, uh, and here, here's the interesting bit. They're wrapping themselves in a flag that is based on one set of ideologies, but trying to protest and represent their ideologies, which is actually from a different flag. So it's, it is actually a nigga yeah. wrapped in a problem, wrapped in a, uh, something else. <laughs> That's right. There's no push button, get banana on this one. It's not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Anyway. I mean, if you think about it, too, it's not just Canadian flags that are showing up. Like, I've never seen so much overt 
uh, you know, identification of basically distrust or or uh, disbelief in the government. Like you, mm. you talk about the stickers you see on trucks. I can walk around my neighborhood and see quite a few very disparaging, very actually rather blatantly disparaging uh, commentaries that are posted on people's vehicles. Yeah, <laughs> things that you wouldn't think that you'd want you know kids reading necessarily. You know, bad swear words associated with politicians. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's remarkable. And it's again, I think, I think possibly too that maybe that age of you know peace, order, and good government, sort of the quiet, sort of uh, self-deprecating, deprecating you know, Canadian character that says, sorry, at the beginning of every sentence uh, might be over, right? Hmm. There's possibly an increasing portion of the population that feels that they played along with that uh, narrative and it got them nowhere or it didn't get them what they wanted or they feel that it's getting away from them, whatever that is, whatever that it is that they they desire. And so they've changed their strategy. They've said, okay, we're going to be a lot more vocal now. Well, I think there's some other things I want to maybe add in. I don't necessarily have them recognized, but, you know, education and how it's all about the individual and how they learn versus their their order in society. Plus, you add in other dimensions like um, the conservative, a lot of conservative bills to cut education, like the conservative ideal, you know, like, you know, free market will dictate, you know, a lack of investment in education, sort of like a, but when you look at the like the conservative view of you know c- cutting education and the free market di- free market dictate, uh, along with the idea of trying to advance national objectives, you kind of ha- sort of have an echo chamber, right? So we're going to keep people mm-hmm. stupid, so they'll fall into fall into line and be disorganized, so they can't rise up against the you know the liberal elites, which are essentially educated people doing the educated things right so wait wait is this a conspiracy theory or is this like an actual thing that's happening right now (laughs) yeah i mean you put it in context right so how many members of parliament uh, have attended public school and have no and another question how many members of parliament never once attended a private education institution or i know i know of at least one (laughs) higher levels yeah it's pretty rare Okay, and yeah. there's 338 members of parliament, and I'd be curious to see just how many of them actually went to public school for all of their education. So, because at some point they make the decision to jump ship if they're going to be inside the power families of the country, because none of those people go to public school. Um, and if you are one of these outsiders that you know wins your riding and gets in, um, you're in you're in the minority because you quickly realize. And if you don't attend public uh private institution there's a very good chance you'll send your kids to private institutions i like how you people have lost faith i like how you steered us in towards uh it's a it's away from the the canadian ideology uh debate to uh the have versus have not i like that that was very good that was well done that was good good little segue well it it actually it's you know because it's all probably connected in some way right and how people value certain things Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's unfortunate because i mean i don't I don't think it's easily reconcilable. Like as Whiskey's pointed out, right? It's a tough, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, and let I'll 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 be the the bold one and give the devil his due that for some of those people that we were talking about who have, let's say, discussed with the government, I mean, let's just go back to and I'm gonna take a risk here. Um all of the decision-making that's happened over the last two years with coronavirus. Now that makes sense for a lot of, a lot of Canadians, a lot of people within built up areas within urban centers and that kind of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily make sense uh, for, you know, 
Joe Blow Wilson, who's uh, out in rural Canada and sees the same, you know, 10 to 15 people every other day down at the local, you know, general store or whatever, a grocery store, you know, like I can understand why they would start getting fed up with, uh, I, I can sympathize. I can empathize with that person. I don't necessarily completely agree with them, but I can empathize with that person because, you know, like they, they're not having the same experience as, as people in, you know, the big three, whether it's, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal. Go ahead, Whiskey. I would say that speaking of Joe Blow, uh, how would Joe Biden, his wife's a teacher, right? So there's some interesting, and she, she refused to stop teaching. Um, Joe Biden's wife? Joe Biden, yeah. You said Joe Blow, so I figured meant Joe Biden. Um, (laughs) Okay. Uh, the, the, the other one was um, in the UK, the stats are 41% and 46% of Senate and parliamentarians uh, send their kids to private schools. I don't have data on Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, be careful because in the UK, a private school is a public school, and a public school is private school. It's actually the opposite to here in, ter- in the use of the terminology. <laughs> in fact, yeah. that's. It's usually the second question you get asked. Like, you know, in North America, when you meet somebody for the first time, usually question number two or three is, so what do you do, right? But in the UK, it's usually, where did you go to school? Or they look at your tie. Is that the giveaway? Ah, it's funny how we're so quick to criticize Russian oligarchs, yet we've basically got an oligarchy running our country. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, the argument, oligarchy, and classism, and like that's that's. What, I know, I know, I'm being flippant. We're not going to solve that on one hour podcast. No, no, we're not. But but it is a good way to stir up unification and say, you know what? It's not between who's really Canadian, who who isn't really Canadian. It's between those who have and those who do not have. So we need a proletariat uprising, and we're going to take the country back for the for the populace. No, that's not how it works. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that at any, at any of the bars surrounding the parliament buildings. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Oh, God. It's the famous Thatcher line, right? Socialism's great until you run out of other people's money to spend. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, which like Shell's assets are being auctioned off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think actually to go back to your earlier point about the flag and stuff. Some people, obviously, with the results of the last federal election, are not happy, especially in the sense that it looks like increasingly that you know the city of Toronto can often decide the outcome of the election. You know, yeah. record lows turning out and voting, like you know, sort of giggling to yourself that you managed to manipulate the electorate so effectively and efficiently. I mean, it doesn't bode well with the average citizen. It goes, oh, okay, so I guess that's all I'm worth. And you know, people get they get disenfranchised, right? And they become, uh, you know, they're disgruntled. And of course, the worst of them become disgruntled. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably a lot of people in the country that are not happy, but a small portion of them decided to mobilize <laughs> and go and block the capital city for for a couple. Literally. Of years. You know, literally, and, and cause a lot of problems and just embarrass the rest of us. So, sorry, I, I would add in like there's there, there's an interesting dynamic to this though, like like you small dynamic, and I, I had some very aggressive debates on Facebook uh, about you know so people supporting the trucker rallies, and well, the the my sticking point is is that these are they're posting uh, pictures of truckers departing uh the, you know the rural wherever to go and participate in the, the quote-unquote freedom rally i mean american ideology uh 
And the, the contrasting picture is, you know, a, a son or a father departing the homestead in order to fight World War II. And they're, 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 they're just opposing as if they're the same. Um, realizing that the trucker rally was primarily organized and facilitated by anti, anti-Semitists and white supremacists, openly so, um, whereas World War II is like, we're going to go free the Jews from oppression and and slaughter, like, um, is that true? A, it, like the the founders of the trucker protest were anti semites, and was that actually? I didn't hear that. It I is true. That. Look at Laura Lynch and her protest. She was arrested a couple times in Alberta for, for saying that uh, uh, they need we need to take the back the country from uh, the Jewish people. Oh God! Oh fuck! So of course, this it's is where I get takes that actually, is what purposely asshole to taint the whole message. Yeah, yeah. Actually, largely ignored all the media during the trucker thing because I just found it so utterly ridiculous. Yeah. I actually purposely turned it off. Yeah, so I missed, same here. Some of the better parts, apparently. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, so when I asked the question to these people, like, do you know who you're sending your thirty-five dollars to? You know, or your fifty dollars or a hundred dollars? Where, where is this going? And would you support an anti-Semitic point of view or a white supremacist view? Well, no, I wouldn't. Well, these people that you're giving money to are doing that. So when you talk about agendas, uh, which are, are not articulated properly, there's, you're sending to a corporate non-registered charity. Um, and, and these things are going on and they're forcefully occupying your parliament. What yeah. are you really, what, what message are you sending them that they're able to do? Well, there's no peace, there's no order. And there's, well, arguably on, in their case, there's no good government, but <laughs> <laughs> but nobody can agree on any of those three things in that situation. It's just, it's a, it's a train wreck. It's a slow moving train wreck is all it is. But we have to, you have to take it seriously because we need, you can't have mayhem. You just like, you can't like, it's, you need order. You need to, you need to stamp that shit out. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people were upset about was the fact that, um, you know, they just seem to try to ignore it. You know, for a couple of weeks, and then when they realized it wasn't going to go away, then they kind of very sluggishly and sheepishly got around to coming up with another response and, and decide. I mean, let's face it; it was very poorly handled. Right? Mm-hmm. They really should have been engaged on day one, and and yeah. you know, a resolution should have been found immediately, one way or the other. But they just let it fester, and of course, it, it blew up in their faces. And and yeah. then you know, finally, they got around to doing something about it. And like all things, when you leave it to you know past prime. And the only way to deal with it is in a, an adverse way that can be twisted against you. So, you know, like the way, the way, very good. Yeah. yeah. The way that yeah. I saw it, um, just cause obviously I didn't pay 100% attention and yeah. Okay. That's, that's on me. But the way that you saw it is like what they're doing. It didn't look aggressive. It looked peaceful. It looked like a peaceful protest. And by all reports, that's what a lot of people were uh, acknowledging, uh, especially uh, people that I work with and and uh, know and get along with, um, but it was the 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 TSN turning point, as it were, happened when they hit that bridge, when they were on that bridge and they started affecting American capitalism, and you clearly could see it. Joe Biden gives a call, phone call to old JT and then says, I know whiskey's shaking his head, but like, 
<laughs> that's what it looks like. If I'm going to adopt the populist argument, Dude. that's what it Dude. Like, what? Peaceful? What are you talking about? They were robbing bums for sandwiches. They were storming Reno Center and forcing people to ripping off their masks off their face. Where do you get off saying it was peaceful? But, you know, like, if you're an Asian person, you're locked in your house. Where's where's this peace coming? Remember, these are white supremacists. So if you weren't white, (laughs) you were not welcome. Hey, Whiskey, tell me how you feel. Yeah, but by American protest standards, it was a sleeping pill. I mean, exactly. you know, look at what happened in Portland. Look what happened in Portland, Oregon. Like, you know, they they actually literally occupied the city and and built a new fence around it and declared it a new a new a city, a new state, whatever their republic of, of whatever it was. Like you know, we, okay, so a bunch of people brought bouncy castles to Parliament Hill and yeah. embarrassed the government and got a police chief fired uh, and settled. That's and then right. a couple of nasty folks got in amongst the middle of it. And of course, I mean that was it, right? And then again, a couple of weeks later, okay, so they took their tires off trucks and stuff got dragged away and all that but at the end of the day other than costing money you know it cost about as much as it did for a university to have a frost week uh in take your pick city of canada where especially <laughs> where the student yeah yeah student okay, we have we have one of the worst damage. here like we're, we're like 100k <laughs> a day um the, the the auto occupation costs more um because the lawsuits were not done yet hmm Oh yeah, it's going to drag on forever. I mean, it's uh, just, but I mean, just remember. I mean, in the grand thing. So just watch like the tort log coming in, right? So you have the criminal investigation for, for Tamara Liss and and was his name Priest? Yeah. I can't remember his other name. But and then so there, you got the tort ones coming in in behind it. So as soon as these guys are found culpable of something, the tort ones are going to jump onto that money, and they've mm-hmm. already frozen a whole bunch yeah. of it. Yeah, I, I think Rocks has on to something there, though. I think that you know, once they blocked the the bridge across to the U.S. and started to affect supply chain and import, I mean, think about it. one in four, uh, you know, jobs in this country is tied to import export, right? Seventy percent of Canada's GDP is related on import export, and to every two seconds, a vehicle crosses the border uh, between Canada and the United States carrying some good or service uh, type stuff. So, I mean. That's how we stay in the G7. So if you, if you, and we're hanging on by a thread most of the time, because uh, there's other countries like South Korea and others that are just waiting to take our spot. So if you mm-hmm. did seriously disrupt the import export trade in this country, <laughs> even for a week, um, especially in the middle of a pandemic, I suspect that that was actually what was really costing them, not just monetarily, but also in terms of politics. And I think you're right. There probably was a couple of angry phone calls. <laughs> back and forth because that thing got fixed really quickly. It did. <laughs> they didn't. They it didn't did. wait. They didn't wait three, four weeks well, to go and that, sort that. One. It was at that point that the Emergency Measures Act got uh, was enabled. Was it not? It was pretty much. It was like right around that time. I don't know yeah. if it was the cause and effect or if it would just just coincidentally no, but, happen to coincide with that. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. No, it does. It does. It does. But you got to watch the narrative. And I, right. I think no, no, no. The narrative is important. So if if it's the we they okay, and you're talking about because li- you have to look at the freedom convoy is very much a conservative type of view, right? Labor, blue collar, those types of themes. We're standing up for the, the that was their narrative. When I think there's up, more to just that. Watch. Just, just but just watch. I got a good one. Just wait, 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 wait. So when they go after the the Parliament Hill, which is the national organization, is the the viewpoint is elite, right? Those connotations, okay. So a lot of the security in the national capital region is associated with Parliament Hill. So they're going to the the Ontario, which is very much conservative, uh, you know, conservative government, 
um, will we'll stay out of it. And they do that on purpose. So then as soon as it attacked the bridge, you, you hit uh, Doug Ford's mentality and his base. And that's when you start seeing bigger things start to happen because now it's affecting trade for the whole province. Mm-hmm. And conserve government, you're starting to see a start more forceful action. Yeah. So I heard, uh, I was talking with a buddy at work the other day, and I guess there was a news story. I don't know if it was on National Post or uh, I can't remember. I'll have to look for it. Um, but apparently one of the reasons, and I, I think it was a former, it was a CEO or uh, an executive with one of the trucking companies. And he said, we've been compliant with the, with vaccine mandates across the border. Like there's no issues there. I think the biggest issue that a lot of these guys, the, the employees, the truckers themselves, a lot of these issues that these guys are having is the inability to go over to the States and get cheap beer and rippers. That's where the, where that's where the fucking rippers are at. Cause they're cheaper. They're better quality down South. And that was the idea. And like, it's, it's very crass, but like, if you think about it, I'm taking away from your, uh, your good times, just going across the border. Now I don't understand. And this is another point of discussion that I have with my buddy was we don't understand like, the whole vaccine mandate at the border, why not just drop the trailer off at the border, have have the other person pick it up? They have people at border agency or whatever, not somebody, some contractor within uh, at the border actually move the product across the border where it needs to go. And then you keep truckers internal to the country that it's being transported in. Like, what's the issue with that? Whiskey, you're shaking your head. Well, it's the logistics of it. The logistics system isn't set up for that. So you need yeah, a warehouse, and actually even had the but the logistics yeah. system is also not set up for a pandemic. So you got to make changes. That's just like a non. That, that's just a false argument. Don't just throw that in there. Well, it's not wrong. <laughs> well, neither, neither. But the thing is, is like if, if you look at trailer theft, you you need some sort of a security gate. You need a locking mechanism. Like there's a whole supply chain have, warehouse type of thing that you need to set up over there. That's what you have border services agencies for. Yeah, but we have low productivity in this country already. I mean, look, we're tiny, right? Like we have the population of the state of New York and we have the GDP of maybe Texas, maybe, you know, like we're tiny. And I be, I don't think we could keep up. Uh, I suspect that a lot of the, the supply movement and logistics, the uh, whiskey point is actually provided by the U.S. They come in, they come in and out and uh, sort of thing. And I'm and how much we put into them and come out. Well, you know, it's like I said, it's a lot for us, but it's actually very little for them. In the grand scheme of things, and of course, we would have to we would have to have the same standards, the same uh, rules with regards to uh, food inspection, clearances, health, safety, uh, toxicity for hazardous materials. Like there'd be so many things, right? We'd have to have some sort of agreement on. It's like let's say you're going to ship liquid nitrogen or liquid oxygen into the into the country. Like that's the thing. Like you know, I was like driving down the driving down the highway here because I know that some people if they actually knew what was in the trucks next to them, they'd lose their minds, right? Mm-hmm. I can read those little signs on the trucks. I know what's in that little tanker. That's going all the dangerous and goods and stuff. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. It happens with a boom. It's going to make, and I think some people would just lose it if they knew what they were riding next to. <laughs> that's so true. But I mean, you have to have, you'd have to have all sort of, you know, matching standards for all that stuff. And I'm not sure that that, like you said, the logistics of it, I don't think that was in place. So. Okay. Okay. I've learned my lesson. Usually I can battle uh, whiskey, <laughs> but I got Dr. Green. He's piling on too. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's that water cooler talk you know where you're just like spitball yeah 
Why don't they do that? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was, I was, there's a, there's a, there's a barbershop here called hair of the dog and they have a bar inside of the barbershop. And I was sitting there one day waiting for my haircut and I'm having a drink. And, uh, so they started talking. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm like, there's only two people, right? So the bartender having a conversation with, with the guy next to me. I'm like, and they're like, what do you think? I'm like, do you want the normal answer? Or do you want me, you want the, do you want like the underground answer? Or do you want like the master's level answer? Or do you want the PhD answer? Because I have all three. <laughs> or do you want me to just let you talk? <laughs> well, walk us through it. We got time. So, well, that's what they said. So I gave them all four. <laughs> oh, get all four. Ooh, okay. All the four was my opinion. <laughs> ah, okay. Fair enough. So, what's the undergrad answer? Well, it's just hypothetical. They they were talking about organizational culture and and how it all fits together. Because there's the assumption it goes back to the trucker convoy too. It's like they they under they, it's easy for them to create the the straw man argument against parliamentarians because they uh, they perceive them as a homogeneous entity. So they all have share the same opinion with Trudeau. Well, the, the the fact is there's a party line which is the homogeneous answer. But as you and saw, liberals and NDP, right? Yeah. So, and, and as you saw, like there's, it all fractured at the different, uh, the different levels, right? Um, with different parliamentarians going to talk to them. Um, then you, and then there was a blatant appeals by the truckers to for appeal for legitimacy, so to legitimize their point of view. But yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating when, when you start breaking things down to where it sits. Mm-hmm. And, he, and here it is. It's over now, and we're what six months, not even six months down the road. Still talking about <laughs> it from this event. But, you know, it's and, and where are we any better off as a result or, you know, has there been any uh, reflection and, you know, sort of insight, you know, as the gov- even even if the government felt they were completely in the right the whole time, which I'm sure they did because they they never make mistakes. They uh, they miscommunicate or they they misspeak or they, you know, have oversights because they don't actually do anything wrong, apparently. But, um, you know, in all of this reflection, you would hope that they what would they get from it? Like, what well, what's the lessons or the observations or insights that they take and, and what are they trying to do? Cause let's face it, whether, whether you agree or disagree with it, you have this massive public demonstration of hatred for the elected government, right? That at the end of the day, whether it's legitimate or not, I mean, that's a different argument to have, but at the end of the day, there was a massive population uh, that, you know, was quite large that sat for a long period of time in open protest, even if it was illegitimate protest or that, that were, that were dissatisfied. And in the history of this country, I don't think there's ever been, uh, such an open public display of disdain for an elected government, and uh, yeah. even during wartime, even during conscription crises, even during uh, you know prohibition era period type stuff like that, general government, sitting federal government has never been so openly challenged. And I mean, even even if you went back to the seventies and the FLQ crisis and so forth, when the last time the War Measures Act was actually properly invoked, in my personal opinion, um, you know, this is it. But I mean, even then, it wasn't that there was a hatred for the sitting government. There was a hatred for a provincial status, right? It wasn't about the individuals and members of parliament. And here you have like a large population that was really angry. Whether legitimately angry or not is, as I said, it's a, it's a separate argument, but just the fact that they were just so angry that they were moved to create a physical demonstration of this nature and potentially blockade, you know, the country's borders. I mean, that's, that's, that's significant and poignant, even in its own way. And of course, you know, we have to, we have to, what do we, you have to digest that and what do you get from that? You know, and how do you stop that from happening again? Because obviously we don't that's want this great, to happen again. That, that's a you great know? point. Well, here, 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 I'll go, I'll, I'll spit this back to you in, in form of question. Like, 
So in contrast to the Winnipeg General Strike of 1917, then the uh, Occupy protests that, that, that occurred in Canada, one of the themes is to uh, is to the lack of ability to politicize their movement. So maybe spit it back to you, what should they have done, uh, even though they're they're all being jumped up on legitimate charges, uh, uh, what could they have done in the political sphere? Because ultimately when you are illegitimate leaders, I mean, <laughs> like how, how, well, how would you go about politicizing it? Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is uh, I think the mistake was to try to ignore it and think it was just going to go away. They thought, oh, you know, really cold. Everybody joked, really cold temperatures. There was a snowstorm. Everybody would freeze their butt off. There'd be no bathrooms available to them and they'd all eventually go home. And they didn't. And I think that was an error. I think that it was. And of course, people that are angry. There's no way to get them even angrier than to ignore them <laughs> and pretend they don't matter. Wait, then you're, you're just feeding a fire. <laughs> Dr. Green, Dr. Green, go back. But but you're treating like again, you're treating government like a homogeneous entity, okay? So let's let's just break it apart a little bit, okay? Because okay, let's take. But everybody does. Yeah, take the politicians out of it altogether. The the Ottawa chief of police could have gone out and spoken to them, or at least you know said, "Hey, listen, here's what we think, and here's how we'd like to handle some of this, so that nobody gets hurt and there's no incidents." Right? Nobody would go and talk to them. Everybody pretended they were just a nuisance, and eventually, eventually, they they started to cage them in. Once they realized they started just, you know, damaging property or, you know, dancing on the too many unknown soldier, people got shamed into going out and, and actually boxing them into a restricted space. I, I think it was a mistake. Somebody, somebody who had the ability to engage them, whether the mayor of the city of Ottawa or perhaps the city of Chief Police, but somebody, uh, RCMP, whoever, but somebody. And of course, the worst part was the, the chief of police tried to do a, a in my opinion, a quick, uh, you know, bait and switch when he suggested that maybe the military should go deal with it. And I took that as in that's him trying to make sure that he doesn't show up on the news because it's going to be bad, however it plays out. And he was trying to avoid being the one that'd be caught on the news. You'd much rather see soldiers getting into fights with protesters than police officers, right? So it's like somebody should have gone and spoken to them right away, not, yeah. not you know fourteen or twenty-one days later. The absolute, and I'll add on to that. Like the absolute best thing you can do is open up the lines of communication, even though yeah. even with those people that you feel are a basket of deplorables or flyover states, <laughs> because that's the precedent. Yeah. That's the precedent. Yeah. No, that's because true. that's exactly how the Democratic crisis. Party treated yeah. the electorate and all those, and that's how they got Trump. They did the exact, they traded those, those people. Those people vote too. Okay, let, they traded those people on, the exact same way. One country, one problem. Let's not try that <laughs> one there. Let's, let's just spill over, but, okay? No, but here's the thing. We are stupid and blind if we're not learning the mistakes of other countries. Oh, like that's on us. Ooh, no, no, ooh, don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't try and don't, don't let like one issue. Like this is where I'm trying <laughs> using general cases, and that's why I put Doctor Green in his little box. Who and not <laughs> they? And then you're trying to go back into the bay to justify your argument. No, no, that's that's how like, people win. No, 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 no. I'm not letting well, you do that, buddy. I am not letting <laughs> you do that. So number one, you're saying it's a wrong strategy to do. So if I have a known delinquent, okay, am I going to challenge and I want to remove them from power? Am I gonna am I gonna go and challenge them right away, or am, am I gonna wait? And the line from Nero, you know, there's some sea creatures that will sit at the bottom of the oceans and they they won't bite the first time they're bitten, but they wait and they're gonna let the little guy dig a nibble and then. They're going to wait some more. They're not going to strike back. They're going to wait till they take a little bit more. And then 
when they at least know it, they're going to strike. And if you think about this, it's exactly kind of what I'm not sure it was deliberate strategy. And we can say we can we can we, oh, we can no. we can <laughs> say all kinds of things. But look at it, like when you have when you have a person that's demonstrated radical tendencies, it's only a matter of time before they become more and more radical. You know, you're starting to yeah, sound like a lot like, more like Commodus from Gladiator, and look what happened to wow. that guy. Yeah, let me let me put yes, an alternate look what, uh, analogy. Okay, when you have a hostage situation, you don't wait for him to throw some bodies out onto the sidewalk and first. That's part of your delaying strategy, because you're talking with an irrational actor, right? You engage them immediately to no, in order whoa. to assess the situation. What was the end game? And to figure out, you know, but the end game is the same for both. You want them both arrested and thrown in the clink, but at the end of the, you're not going to wait for them to play their cards out and then decide what you're going to do. You engage them immediately so that you can shape the conversation right from the very beginning. Right. So they could have gotten out there and shaped, they could have got out there and shaped the protesters messaging and actually restrict it. Hey, if the Ukrainians can take a superpower and turn it on its head with the power of social media, certainly, certainly the police forces in this country are as, are as clever. I would hope. Right? So, Again, you're so training them like opening these entities. <laughs> yeah. I just, I find it interesting that they just took, I mean, and I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be hypercritical. It's easy to criticize from the, from a, from the armchair. I appreciate that. And I'm not trying Trying to suggest that yeah. you know, I have I have all the answers, but I just find it interesting that they just the strategy appeared to be that they were just going to wait and see, you know, and something that was clearly going to get out of hand. And actually, we're quite lucky because I think it could have been a lot worse, a lot more violent, and could have spread a lot farther into the city. And we were fortunate that we are still Canadians after all. And even mm-hmm. when we have an ugly protest, it's like I said, it's nothing compared to what the Americans or Europeans can drum up. You know, when France had protesters of this nature and Sarah's, I mean, the Yellow Jackets and all that, the French gendarmerie did not wait to engage because it could be high risk. They were like, let me at them. You know, they were like, all two seconds. Let's say the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They learned the lesson from 1789. (laughs) Imagine just been a European police force engaging a large protest in the city. I mean, this thing wouldn't have lasted two days. They would have had yeah. this thing dispersed in hours. <laughs> so I, I know I'm keep going back to the whole government is a homogenous entity uh, argument, which obviously we got to stray away from that. And I got to do my best to do that too. But here's the thing is like the government in power, they can't afford to not be transparent because it hurts them in the long run. If you're, if your aim and like, obviously this is a crass argument. If the aim of any politician is only just to get reelected, Lack of transparency goes against that. It it destroys your credibility. And like let's let's call it for what it is. The credibility within within government, it took a hit. It took a hit. Yeah, I mean I don't think they came out shiny. That's that's for sure. Yeah, you know, whether you agree or disagree with the outcome or whatever, I just I don't I don't think everybody I think everybody lost. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and I, and I I think that's the the part of like you know when the economy is going strong like there there's a, there's a, there's enough angst out there to generate this and I, I think we're going through a lot one of these lar- one larger uh, social political super movements we we call it um, and I I think that's yeah. true and, and I, I think you know maybe employment's too high maybe maybe that's the problem. Um, maybe unemployment's too low. Like there's there's different ways of looking at it, and we could say that, you know, when when unemployment's too low, that the people that are working in these jobs don't get you know 
don't get quality people and then, then you know their trucks are end up on protest streets but <laughs> burrowed uh, yeah you know, it's you know it's interesting because you think about it, if the if the if maslow's hierarchy of needs is food shelter clothing right and right now we're at 6.7 percent inflation yeah most young people can never even dream of owning a house mm-hmm. uh, because they just simply can't create and the rents are getting so high that even if you're trying to save up you, you're on a treadmill for life. You can't actually save enough to put the down payment on a house that you can't afford to live in anyway. So there goes two of three Maslow's you know, needs right away, right? And clothing. Meat prices well, okay, are you know, skyrocketing. Growth, like yeah, dairy, gas, everything, gas right? Fuel. Gas. Right. So maybe it's not the best time to invoke your carbon tax and slap them. You know, people are already getting punched in the stomach. Here's a punch in the face. You know, so timing and decision is everything. So I think I think the the level of discontent is like you're weighing on there, whiskey. It's the it's the social mega movements that have occurred, you know, as a result of pandemic or whatever. But when you start attacking that really basic hierarchy of needs, and two of the three of them are under siege right now, in a way, like people are really upset and worried, right? And and when people get worried and anxious, they start making bad decisions. Most of you are probably thinking, hey, isn't that the music from the De Beers commercial back in the 90s? And yes, you'd be right. In fact, this song was composed and recorded by Welsh composer Carl Jenkins in 1995. This composition is called Palladio and was inspired by the Renaissance celebration of harmony and order. I chose this piece because to me it sounds nothing like the celebration of harmony and order and sounds more like conflict that is starving for resolution. I felt it somewhat appropriate since we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger at the end. Don't worry, we got more Whiskey and Rocks and Dr. Green coming, so you'll have to stay tuned for that resolution. If you're enjoying the variety and content that we're pushing out and want to hear more from Whiskey, Rocks, and the awesome guests who join in the conversation, leave a like on our Facebook, look for Whiskey and Rocks and that gold crown, or on our blog, the320club.com. Or follow us on Twitter. We are at Whiskey and Rocks 1. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more Whiskey and Rocks.